Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hi, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today's Thursday, August 17th, 2023. Uh, got a great podcast today. We've got John Quain, who writes for the New York Times, Smart Cities, and Tom's Guide. Sir Wappen, who scribes for Popper Mechanics, AARP, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other fine publications. And pinch hitting for Rob Pegarero is Dwight Silverman, the veteran technology journalist for the Houston Chronicle. Gentlemen, how are you? Very good. Very good. Doing great. Uh, uh, Dwight, uh, how are you doing, by the way? How's, how's Houston? Is it really... Super duper hot. Or is it, uh, Let's see. Right now, it is 103 degrees outside and probably about 60% humidity. And um, supposedly, we had a cold front go through on Tuesday, and all it did was take a little bit of the humidity out of the air. But uh, we're hoping for better uh, better weather towards the end of the week. Well, and I and I bet New York is equally steamy. Houston is uh, New York is not paradise in August. Well, it's not hot. It's only in the low eighties, but it is very high humidity today. Yeah, it's a sauna out there. Yeah, well, and, and when I and, and when I remember those days when I worked in New York years ago. You know, when you hit hit July, August, and September, the subway system has a unique aroma. That's <laughs> year round. That's not just the summer months. That's true. <laughs> it's a little bit less when it gets cold out, but still. Well, <laughs> Stuart, I'm going to surprise you. I have to bring this up because we chatted about this the other day. Here's a photo of Stuart Walpin on the field at City Field. You know, I was telling him yesterday that I would love one day to walk on a major league uh, field. Now, I, I, believe it or not, Dwight, years ago when I worked at Compact, when the Astrodome was still being used for the Astros, um, I, I think we sold a bunch of computers to the Astros, and they let us use the field. We were able to rent the field for the entire consumer division, which I was working in, to um, actually play a softball game on it. Wow, this, that was pretty. That was pretty remarkable. And and by the way, the artificial surface—that was the original artificial surface. You know, it was like playing with ping, uh, like uh, golf balls on a hard surface. It was that crazy, but. Stuart, so are you going to try out for the Mets? Is that the game plan? Is that what you're going to well, do? Well, they, they need a lot of bullpen help. So uh, if they don't mind uh, the EFIS pitch on every pitch, I'm in. <laughs> well, I saw that on your Facebook. I know I didn't ask you for permission, but I had to bring that up when I saw that on your Facebook. I was season ticket holder of the day. Well, wow. the, Mets, the way the Mets are going right now, just about every season ticket holder, if they have any left, We'll get a chance to pick <laughs> let alone walk on the field. Yeah. Let, yeah. You know, and I understand, Stuart, that uh, Justin Verlander's number is available. So, uh, yes, exactly right. <laughs> I, I, I'm, shoot, I'm shooting for it. I don't think, I don't think there's any chance of a Mets retiring that number. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. Isn't that crazy? No one would have predicted. No one would have predicted uh, that whole what, what's happened with the Mets and the Yankees. But that's another podcast. So I'll, I'll probably do it at three o'clock in the morning. So a couple, a few topics we want to hit. Um, you know, one topic, John, that you brought up, which I think is interesting that I want to chat about, is that there are some reports that ChatGPT's traffic has been de- has declined month over month. Um, I haven't I haven't seen any stories yet about you know um, a more representative sample of the entire 
uh, uh, Gen AI category. Uh, but you, I, I tend to think you might be thinking there's something lurking there. You know, do you think this is an anomaly? Because hey, you know, there are more. Com- obviously, you know, ChatGPT is not the only company in town. Or do you think this is unique to ChatGPT? I, I don't think it's unique to ChatGPT. I mean, I think it's um, it is indicative of something happening here. Um, according to ChatGPT, which doesn't have access to real-time data or current events, <laughs> uh, so it can't provide quote it can't provide specific information about the current traffic situation for ChatGPT or any other platform. But then it goes on and it lists, you know. It could be technical issues, user behavior, competing services, blah, blah, blah. I think the obvious thing, though, is it's wrong most of the time, right? That's the problem. And people are kind of learning that they're doing. I, I, I kind of challenge anybody. Give me one answer for a, an English question. And there's going to be something wrong in that jet GPT answer. And there's going to be something wrong in every single generative AI answer it's almost impossible for them to get this stuff right. And I think people are kind of realizing it now going, well, which part of this is wrong? I'm not sure which part is wrong. And then it's like easier just to do it yourself, I think, is what people are learning about it. And it was fun for a while. Not sure where it's going to go from here. But Dwight, let me bring you into this, because I don't Mm -hmm. know if you and I have had a conversation about whether you use Gen AI in your work from day to day. I use it. You know, I don't I use it more, you know, to to help me kind of um, get kind of, you know, form my thoughts on a topic. But I don't you know, I don't rely on it 100 percent to actually write something. I, I think that it's interesting to me. I find these tools more uh, more accurate and more impactful in small bites rather than write, hey, you know, write a thousand word article on a topic. And right, kind right, of, right. first of all, at least ChatGPT, I find it's very repetitive. <laughs> It'll repeat the same theme four times in different ways, rather than, hey, write 50 words on this specific topic. It seems to do a better job. What, what's been your experience so far? Well, I've, I've actually, that's kind of the way I've seen it. I use it, like if I want to write about a topic, I'll kind of give it a prompt and see what's in there just kind of to make sure that I cover bases, and most of the time it, it says what I was going to say anyway. I had a really interesting experience uh, where I doubted ChatGPT, and it was right, and I was wrong. I did a story on a competitive pinball in Houston, which is turns out is a really funky, interesting subculture here. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was trying to figure out in the story if pinball – had ever been illegal in Texas or in Houston. And so I was asking ChatGPT this, and it came up with kind of this detailed answer that read like it was making it up. Uh, and, And so I kind of poked around on the internet. I couldn't find anything on it. I went back to ChatGPT, and I asked some questions trying to determine where it got that information. And it led me to the Houston Chronicle where my column runs and I talked to the librarian and she couldn't find it, but it read like something familiar. And, and the way some of the wording was, I thought, is this, this particular reporter? And I asked him and he had written it. And the reason I couldn't find it in a search is that like a lot of newspapers, the Houston Chronicle had removed it because it was part of a blog and they weren't using that blog anymore. Ah. And so ChatGPT 
had ingested it at a time when it was available and then gave this to me. And I, I was, you know, skeptical because, hey, it's chat GPT. Of course, you're going to be skeptical. And, um, and so, but it turned out to be correct. So while you can say that, yeah, there's going to be everything, you know, there's going to be something wrong. Oftentimes, there's something right and your own skepticism about it may keep you from using the information that would be useful. Stuart. Well, like John, I asked ChatGBT why his traffic was going down and got a very similar response. But then I also discovered the, the accuracy business. And so I asked ChatGBT about its lack of accuracy or its declining accuracy. And it said the accuracy of ChatGBT can fluctuate for a few reasons. Changes in the training data, fine-tuning methods, or updates of the model architecture could impact its performance. Additionally, there are new and uncommon topics the model might provide less accurate responses. Regular updates are made to improve accuracy, so keeping up with the latest versions, in other words, pay them more money, can help migrate our decline in accuracy. So I'm with John on this. I think, you know, that perhaps... They were talking about in the, in the stuff that I was reading that it's the numbers that for some reason they were having trouble on, not the sort of more subjective stuff that Dwight was talking about. Um, so, um, the, but the other side of this is there are, AI is being embedded in so many other platforms other than just chat GPT for one thing. Uh, Alexa and Siri are becoming much more conversational. The second thing is we have to remember that we are still in the very early stages. And I think that all of us, including everybody who's tried to use it, is expecting Star Trek-like computer responses. And this ain't the 23rd century, it's only the 21st. So I think uh, quantum computing, increasing computing power, as well as additional training will increase this. But this is, I think we're in the sort of stage where we were with the electric light bulb, which we'll be talking about later, it was in the 1890s. We're still at the very early stages of this technology not only becoming more accurate and becoming more conversational, um, but but being embedded in a lot more things where it becomes much more of a normal thing on a day-to-day -day oh, yeah. basis as something that is, oh, special. We have to go to chat GBT. Yeah, one thing I wanted to, to add to this, and, and Stuart kind of hit on it at the end, is that chat GPT was the new shiny, shiny thing and everybody rushes to it, it uses it, and then it kind of becomes less the shiny thing. You're seeing the same thing happening uh, to a certain extent with Meta's Threads uh, Twitter um, clone. And I think that you know, it was easy for millions of people to jump on it and easy for um, you know, people to give it a try, but if it wasn't compelling and continued to be there, they have moved on. There'll be a core group that will stay there and will help develop it out as, as a as a, a culture. But, you know, all new tech technologies do this. There's kind of this big bump at the start and then it levels out. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I, we, we could talk about this forever and I want to make sure we get the other two topics. But, you know, the thing that's curious to me is that I think all of these, you know, these large language model tools, I mean, Qualcomm is now doing some work that's interesting that you'll be able to do this kind of work in an offline type of basis, you can do it on the device, which is intriguing. Um, although I would suspect that without a, con a connectivity capability, it's probably going to be less smart than having doing it in a uh, non-connected environment. But I find that 
the, uh, especially ChatGPT, because you know, you, w- once you start playing with it, I'm, I'm sure you've all tried to do this. As you, you play the game. Let's stump ChatGPT. Let's see if we can ask a question. And and I've asked a couple of very fact-based questions that it has gotten wrong. And so not often, but it has. And I also think that if you're a um, a creative person, you know, you've got the, the Screen Actors Guild now on strike still. They're still trying to figure out a deal because they feel like they're going to be put out of business um, by um, Gen, I, Gen AI. I think the creative process, they have less to worry about because you know, these, these um, Gen, AI, Gen AI applications are great uh, backward-looking tools, are, are good back, backward-looking tools, but you really can't ask these Gen AI tools to make a creative decision where it's not based on data or based on an algorithm. It's based on a human intuition that's, that, that sometimes it's not very logical, you know, that you're writing something and you might go down a pathway that normally, you know, a, a computing device wouldn't go because it's not a linear-based um, kind of approach. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I, I think it's only going to get more interesting as all these new. I mean, every major silicon company out here in the valley, uh, gentlemen, are 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 working on or have come out with um, very very powerful um, pieces of CPU silicon that have um, AI algorithms built into them. So it's going to be very, very interesting over time. Let's hit the next topic. And, you know, Dwight, we kind of were exchanging message. I believe you've got a column coming up about, and I love this, the chaos in streaming. Not to say that there has never been any chaos in streaming, but apparently, yeah, let's start, because this is really intriguing, because a lot of people are starting to get hit with some of the issues that I'm sure you've written about. Sure. Well, you know, uh, this, this year was the 10th anniversary of me becoming a cord cutter was back in April. So I've done this for a decade. A lot of people have done it for longer than that. And when, you know, when I started out, uh, kind of the, the main thing that you did was you uh, rented or downloaded uh, shows and movies from iTunes or Amazon, uh, video on demand, as it was called then. Um, and there wasn't much beyond Netflix uh, in terms of independent streamers. Uh, of course, a lot of that has changed. And, and the reason that I became a cord cutter was I was paying, you know, thousands of dollars uh, a year with on cable TV. And uh, and I was able to reduce my um, television, my annual television bill from, I think it was close to $1,500 down to um, uh, $600 a year, and which was substantial. And so I kind of went back and did the numbers again, uh, and it'll be in, in my print column on Sunday and online on Monday, and looked at kind of what the numbers are now, and they're about the same. Um, <laughs> you know, I subscribe to Hulu, I subscribe to Netflix, I subscribe to uh, HBO Max. This is at the moment. I, I add and drop these as needed, um, and and, uh, and Apple TV Plus. Um, I have Paramount Plus, but Paramount Plus has this unique thing where you can keep feeding it promo codes, even though you've already done this, and it gives you the gives you gives it to you for free. So I've got Paramount Plus, and I haven't <laughs> paid for it for months. Um, but I add and drop as I need, and um, and I'm not buying TV seasons anymore, except occasionally. I just bought Dark Winds on AMC, but it's the price is the same and basically with with um with inflation i probably am paying less 
But what's coming is all of these streaming services are jacking up their rates because you really do have to pay for the content you create. Um, they are um, they are all going to start pa uh, cracking down on passwords during password sharing. On during Disney's latest earnings announcement, uh, CEO Bob Iger said it's coming next year in 2024. Netflix has actually had good uh, results with its crackdown. They added six million new subscribers uh, in the last quarter. And so I think that people are looking at this and going, well, we can make a lot more money than we are now and the price is going to go up. But I have to tell you, regardless, it's going to be cheaper than cable. There was a Financial Times story this week that had some kind of questionable numbers about what the average uh, cable bill is. It said it was $83. And, and you look at the methodology and that looks that looks pretty wrong. Consumer Reports puts it in the $200. And yeah. I think that that's probably more accurate. So, yeah. so it, it's going to have to go a long way um, to beat the value that is streaming. You just have to not subscribe to everything, add and drop as you need, and just be smart about kind of what you do. Oh, and stay away from things like YouTube TV and uh, uh, and the, the faux cable packages that actually are priced like cable. You're not going to save much money that right. way. Right. Right. But, Stuart, let me, let me pull you into this because the, the thing that, and, and, you know, Dwight said a, a number of really um, interesting things I don't think most of us could argue with. To me, though, what I've been disappointed with the, the streaming experience, whether you cut the cord completely or you're like me, which has cable, because I, you know, I've always been a cable guy. I don't like paying 200 bucks a month, but that's such a life. But don't you think that the quality of the content has declined? I mean, there's so much content. I mean, you cannot possibly keep up with, you know, much of the stuff that's being produced, you know, natively by many of the uh, major streaming companies. But when I think of the quality of content, I mean. Think of the number of subscribers that Netflix attracted when it had House of Cards because it was such a very well done show. Putting Kevin Spacey aside and all his shenanigans, uh, but don't, don't but don't you think that there's also a quality of content issue here as well? That I do not, and you don't. I'll, and I'll tell and I'll tell you a couple of things. First, sure. it's really difficult for me anyway to compare the cost cut, the cord cutting with streaming and making a one-to-one -one comparison because when you're cord cutting, you're essentially replacing one form of access to the same content with another. Where streaming services by and large give you a completely different world of content, uh, excluding HBO, which, which there's crossover in Showtime, but all the other ones. Second thing is, I'm going to the movies this weekend. We're finally getting around to go to see Barbie. Uh, <laughs> uh -huh. And it going to the local AMC theater, just for me and my wife, the tickets, even with my senior citizen discount, is going to cost us $40 to see one movie. movie. The fact that I can pay Netflix $21, $22, $25 for a month of unlimited content, content to me is the bargain of the century. On the content quality side, I think the problem is not the content quality, but finding out what's worth watching to begin with. I just finished binging season one of a, a series called Silo on Apple TV, which I had never heard of. I saw it 
mentioned in some story and I went, I've not seen that. And I went looking for reviews. It's getting fantastic reviews and it's a fabulous show, but I don't, I didn't see, and I'm a, an Apple person. I didn't get anything about this show being on. And it was for, for when it was in the middle of, of the stream, it was the top rated show on, on Apple TV, not foundation, which I have yet to get to. I'm waiting for the season to finish filling up. I have a list that I keep on my notepad of about two dozen series that I'm waiting to get to. Reservoir Dogs, uh, season three of Murders in the Building, uh, the last season of War of the Worlds with with, uh, Gabriel Byrne. I have a huge list of things that I want to get to, and that's only the stuff I know about. And I know that there's a lot of other quality stuff that I just haven't either heard of or done a search for what else might I like kind of things to go see. We've stumbled across so many things on all of on all of these that I had never heard of. And we just got engrossed um, in uh, on series that I would never have seen on cable anywhere. So I don't think the quality of the shows are going down. I think it's their ability to tell us what's good or for us to find out. What's out there is yeah, and, and Mark, if, Mark, if you have not, Mark, if you have not explored Apple TV Plus, Apple TV Plus is the new HBO, and the way HBO was, and it, the no, quality no, on that is, is fantastic. Let me, let me jump in for a second. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Apple Plus, they they won my heart with from um, from Here the Moon that that, that about yeah. the uh, oh, yeah, for all mankind for yeah, all for mankind, mankind. right that was. I re- but the cal- it wasn't just special effects. The narrative, yeah. the attention, the detail in terms of history. You know, if this happened, this thing might have not have happened. There was a great. It's in the first episode that they imply that Ted Kennedy he did, he um, didn't go to Chappaquiddick that weekend on the moon landing, and then since that accident never happened, it allowed him to run for the presidency in 1972. I mean, that to me, if you're a history buff and you like alternative history, The Man in the High's Castle is another. Yep, Probably I still right. haven't gotten to the final season of that. No, no. But uh, John, let me pull you into this. Are you a complete cord cutter? Or are you are are you kind of a, a, a combo type of guy? I, you know, I have uh, different residences, and I sort of use a variety of things. So I can't really be a cord cutter. Like if I want to see the Formula One race, I got to see the Formula One race. Well, I'm not going to subscribe to Sling just for that. I mean, it just gets exponentially and i'm paying for services like my daughter has several services so that she's got to have them which i don't watch at all but you know as a dad that's just something that you're going to do i don't you know i think the quality is an issue if if i see another one of these netflix shows with the overhead drone shot of the forest and the car driving through it i am I can guarantee there's nothing like that on Silo. Oh my god! <laughs> it's just like I, 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 drone I, I, too. you know, I, I, I've got I, several drones too. But if another director does that on Netflix, I'm going to scream. I think John's made a very, very good point. I mean, if you go onto Netflix or any other services, my, my, you know what genre f- film that I really like because I can't get enough of it is some type of apocalyptic, not a hundred years from now. 
but some type of thing that's happened in the near term when there's a nuclear war or you're I mean, gonna love silo i, I know i know and i should not reason. if it's another little girl i've got to save and get her from point a to point b and it's yeah. like kind of mad max meets you're you know watching the wrong shows, John. well no no he's talking about he's talking about the last of us yeah. which is fantastic Ah. And uh, and it's based on a video game. So. Yes. Yeah, The Last of Us is great. Right, let, me get, let, me get, let me give you the uh, last word on it. Do you really think that, you know, when you think about the price increases that have happened, especially with Netflix, the crackdown and password stuff, which we haven't really seen yet because it hasn't kicked in completely yet, content pruning, which is, a you know, a polite way of saying that, they're you know, uh, Disney especially, they're unloading a lot of content because they, I guess they figure they have too much of a content shortage do you ever think that there's going to be some type of um, backlash over time? Do you think people will accept it? Um, I think uh, I think there's still probably some wiggle room. I mean, the fact that what happened with Netflix with its with the password sharing crackdown and it's it is still rolling out. I got hit immediately and and had to tell my kids, "Sorry, guys." Um, but it, I think that I think the Netflix uh, password sharing crackdown, the fact that they didn't have uh, lots of subscribers fleeing in anger uh, says that you know most people will tolerate it. You know, uh, to to uh, uh, to Stewart's comment about you know it's a great bargain. The the for Netflix, you were talking. There's a the, the most you can pay for Netflix is twenty dollars a month. That gets you a 4K stream, and unfortunately, that's the only way you can get 4K on Netflix. Commercial free, um, commercial free. Right, but you can go all the way down if you're willing to sit through ads, which I am not. But if you're willing to sit through ads, you can go back down to six ninety nine. So there's a, a wide range there, and and Netflix was actually really very smart by introducing this ad free tier just before they did the 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 uh, password crackdown. It was really smart, and so you have a lot of people going going to it. Um, by the way, if you have a four K TV and and uh, you should, and you haven't seen it on Netflix, watch Katla, K-A-T-L-A, which is an Icelandic show. And yes, John, I think there are drone shots from above. That <laughs> um, is about this little community at the foot of a erupting volcano in Iceland. And the 4K effect, everything is very gray and ashen, except the director uses splashes of color in the human activity. And it is the, one of the best uses of 4K I've ever seen. And it's also a really compelling story, a uh, really good kind of Nordic sci-fi. Highly recommended. Uh, only if they play Sigur Ros as part of the soundtrack, then I'm watching it. But um, I think no, they I do. Love, I love, like, <laughs> I, when I went to Reykjavik, I think I watched, you know, a bunch of Icelandic. I love the foreign movies. I have to say the streaming services, that's one thing that they have opened yes. up is a lot yes. of foreign material. And that has made entertainment, video entertainment, the programming more global and culturally diverse. Absolutely, that's a great thing. But I do, I do think just coming back to the the, the crackdown on password sharing, I think they're going to hit a, a, a ceiling really fast because the demographic of people doing that it's really college students, and you go, your roommates go off in different directions, and so there's no way for you to authenticate it again. But actually, in the family situation, there is. I mean, if you wanted to, you can defeat that system really easily. It's just 
are you persistent enough every time to do it? And that's where I think it comes down. That's what what's Netflix is betting on. Yeah. Well, let's hit let, let's hit the uh, last topic. This will be a fun one to hit. <laughs> Stuart, only you could want to talk about. And actually, it's relevant. I, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't mean to dismiss it, but it is amazing when you kind of take a pause, especially doing what we do, where you're always kind of um, you know you're attracted to the, to the next bright shiny object. There is a lot of legacy technologies that are still stubbornly with us. You know, incandescent bulbs is one of them. But let, let's uh, talk about it and let's tee it up. Um, based on what your perspective is. Well, the incandescent bulb, first of all, Edison didn't invent it, he perfected it. The patent for it had been around for at least 40 years before Edison finally figured out how to do it. But the importance of the electric light bulb, it, first of all, it's the first electronic product and it's what prompts the first wiring of a city, New York City, with electric power, DC by Edison, which later sparks the current wars of the 1880s and 1890s with Tesla's AC scheme. But the light bulb is, is what creates, what, what is the foundation for the, for the modern for the modern world because it makes electricity something that everybody suddenly has to have and the fact that that bulb is until this year still on the market they hadn't improved on the electric light bulb for 150 years just think of the flows of technology that have come through our lives over that period of time and it's that bulb that looks almost exactly the same as it did when edison first flipped the switch on it and the screw part of it is still referred to as the Edison base in the lighting industry. So this one technology, now the other part of it, the other half of it, is when Edison was experimenting with it, he noticed he was not a scientist. He was merely an experimenter. But he noticed that there was a flow of electrons going through the heat that was going through between the filaments. Had no idea what it was. He marked it down. It was called the Edison effect. The flow of electrons leads what he invented essentially was the vacuum tube and the vacuum tube leads to radio, which leads to the transistor, which leads to the microchip. So the very basis for our computer technologies lies in that little glass bulb that a guy who didn't know half of what he knew because he was not a, a he had a sixth grade education. That product is the foundation for what we are doing here today and how everybody lives. Dwight, I'm, I have to ask you what your reaction to that is. <laughs> well, I think he's, I, you know, I think he's right. There's a, I forget there was a really good um, PBS series uh, about connections in technology, how one thing led to the other, led to the other. Oh, yeah. uh, I forget the name of that, but this is, he, that's exactly what, what he's talking about. Um, it, you know, one of the really interesting things about any of these older technologies is that they often came about from people trying to do something else. Air conditioning was not originally developed to cool your home. It was originally developed to take water out of the air. Yes. And um, and the you know the side effect was that it cools your home. And let me tell you something. Here in Houston, we are really glad we have air conditioning. <laughs> and uh, the city wouldn't result wouldn't exist without it. Probably at least in the form it is now. And so. All of these things kind of have, you know, they're legacy technologies, but all of them have very, uh, very modern impacts in the way they well, developed. No, I, 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 uh, I violently agree with that. If you look at um, light, for example, I mean, you flash back to the late 1800s. I mean, the workday stopped at, at, at dusk. 
I mean, talk about economic activity. I mean, that came to a halt. Factories to which there were, um, that stopped. And 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 interesting, just interestingly, is that uh, you could argue, I think, that kind of um, that sliding doors effect. You know, one thing happens, and then uh, seven or eight other good things happen that come out of that. And you could argue that the electric bulb, you know, changed the world on a variety of different levels. You know, John, what what are your thoughts? You, John, do you still use electric bulbs? Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I just replaced, um, you know, I, I'm on to the third generation because I remember testing the first compact fluorescence. So I've gone through that. They said those would never die. They do die. So now I've replaced them with LEDs that have also died now. And so like I'm on to like the next one. But um, I just put some in my daughter's room and she wanted that yellow bulb that we're showing right there. I mean, that's still... People like that softer, you know, they've had to tune the LED bulbs down to get them into that range. Out west, uh, the tendency is to give the brighter sunlight, bluish, cooler lights. That's what people seem to like out west. But here in the east, we still like the yellow. So it's interesting that that's still hanging around, even if those bulbs do finally go away, which they're working very hard to eliminate. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think Stuart's right. And, the, you know, the the termination of where we're at now with technology for me which we didn't talk about but is out in san francisco i think yes we should have more autonomous vehicles running around and learning more things and getting better and the whole you know resistance to that was kind of silly uh they have zero accidents and fatalities running around right now they're getting better and better and i think that's a a big benefit you know and you're just going to see technology gradually using this more and more i agree I agree. Well, let's wrap it up there because we've all we've gotten to about 33 minutes and I want to make sure that uh, we don't turn this into a Dr. Zhivago, um, like a podcast. <laughs> um, but guys, really, thanks for taking the time for joining me for today's podcast. For our viewing and listening audience, thanks for making the Smart Tech Check podcast part of your day or commute. Please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast or use these convenient on-screen QR codes to connect with me. You can also follow me on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Mark and until next time, have a great week and uh, Stuart, go Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead.